Alex Tapscott is a renowned speaker, author, and thought leader in the crypto space. Few people are better at articulating the future of Web3 and the potential of crypto. You definitely do not want to miss this conversation. That's dope. So you gave a renowned TED talk called Blockchain is Eating Wall Street. Could you make the argument now that Wall Street is eating blockchain? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I haven't thought of it that way. You know, when, when I gave that speech, Blockchain is Eating Wall Street, it was the fall of 2016. It was a, a time that was before like DeFi had really entered the vernacular. And certainly there weren't any of these kinds of projects that we see today. But there was, um, we saw the potential basically for this technology uh, and this asset class to replace a lot of the functions of what the industry does. And I think that at the time we said there's a difference between what crypto and blockchain does and what fintech does. You know, fintech is really just digital wallpaper. It's a better user interface to access the old world of financial services. DeFi is something totally new. DeFi is reimagining uh, the industry from the ground up. So what, is, you know, what does the financial industry do? provides people a way to move money, store money, access credit, exchange assets, raise growth capital, insure against risk, do auditing, and do identity. And those are the key components. And for you know, the three years after, we gave that, after I gave that speech, um, that call looked prophetic. But now, to your point, we're seeing as DeFi and crypto grows, there's more big money that's entering um, the industry. And as a result, a lot of like traditional financial players, big banks, hedge funds, market makers, uh, asset management firms are getting involved. But I would say right now, Wall Street's not eating DeFi. I think Wall Street is trying to create some form of hybrid that gives them access to a high growth market um, and the potential for big returns without trading away the things that they're used to, which is centralization, uh, you know, control, oversight, and so forth. And I think like if you look at the past year, what's happened in 2022, it's actually been the DeFi names that are more organic and more um, crypto native that have fared much better than the companies that were funded by more traditional players. You know, uh, companies like Celsius and Voyager are cor corporations that had, in some cases, big Wall Street, big pension fund backers and didn't end up doing that well. Um, and part of the reason was because they were centralized uh, and because they were opaque, um, it wasn't uh, obvious that there was trouble brewing until it was too late. Whereas with DeFi, everything is transparent. And so I think, yes, we're seeing more big players in the space, but DeFi is still doing its own thing. Right, it's hard because I, uh, sometimes I don't know whether I'm supposed to cheer for them to come in because they're big money and the number will go up. And if we want mainstream adoption, we need Wall Street too. Or if I should say, get out of our uh, sandbox. <laughs> this was built uh, to try to be a hedge against everything you guys are doing. Yeah, um, well, I'm, I'm definitely in the former camp. So, you know, this is a, a new, technology paradigm, right? Blockchains, Web3 um, cr creates a digital medium for value. And so that means that we can create digital versions of any asset in the world. And some of those assets are assets that haven't existed. There are new kinds of projects that are being created that will create new capabilities, just like the internet created new things that didn't exist before. Um, but there's also a lot that the internet did that improved the way that existing things work, how we consume content, how we consume the news, um, you know, how we're able to communicate with each other. So all of those things are good. And so I think in order for this to reach its potential, you do need mass adoption. And part of mass adoption means enterprise and institutional adoption as well. 
the way that I look at it, there's different kinds of institutions. There are institutional investors who are, you know, I think people hope dumb money that's going to come in and bid up the price of assets and, you know, cause the number to go up. But then there are the companies that recognize that they need to be in this industry and they need to be building in this industry, not just buying, right? And so you look at companies like NASDAQ, for example, launching its digital asset business, Starbucks with its NFT project, all the big fashion houses, you know, looking at create like the creator economy um, as a new way to, you know, stay hip and relevant. Um, game studios that are looking to build things in GameFi, Wall Street banks that are looking at DeFi lending pools as, you know, sources of liquidity for the trading operations. That's not just big money buying the tokens and hoping it goes up. That's big companies that recognize the potential of the technology and building uh, new capabilities with it. And that to me is a really exciting thing. Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem that they're scared off by the bear market or concerned about the longevity of the asset class. Yeah, I get this question um, a lot, I'll rephrase the question slightly, which is, you know, is this a repeat of what we saw in 2017, 18, right? Where we had like a big, you know, bubble pretty much, like a lot of excitement, you know, big new, big new thing. The big new thing then was ICOs. The big new thing here is, you know, Web3. But now um, we've had a blow off top and we're in for a long bear market. And putting aside what happens with the price, because I can't predict the future, uh, there's some pretty positive signs that adoption's not slowing down. So after 2017, 18, during that crash, the number of uh, Bitcoin wallet addresses that held less than 0.0, 01 Bitcoin, which was like, you know, $100, yeah. $200, declined significantly. People who came into the market got burned and they left. The little guys. Lost their 100 bucks. They lost and their said, 100 bucks. I'm, like, I'm leaving the casino, I man. I should have never trusted <laughs> my cousin Vinny with that stupid Bitcoin idea. This time, though, the number of wallet addresses that are hitting, that sorry, that have that sort of bare minimum are hitting new highs, and they are every day. Now, some, sometimes that's people with multiple wallets, or maybe it's businesses and institutions with multiple wallets. But you're seeing a broadening uh, of ownership of the asset class. So that's on the retail side. And then on the institutional side, what you're seeing is a bunch of companies that have been planning clearly for a long time to launch with new crypto Web3 strategies. They're not going to stop because of the price went down for a few months. It's like they're making multi-year business decisions. And anybody who's like committed to doing this and spending millions of dollars it's not going to be derailed by, you know, the moves in the market in the short term. So I think that seeing more and more institutional, more corporate implementations of uh, Web3 is uh, going to be the key trend. And by the way, this isn't enterprise blockchain that we're talking about. Uh, I think the story for the first few years of, um, you know, this industry, call it from 2015 to 18, 19, um, and maybe even more recently was, okay, we like the benefits of blockchains, but we're going to do it our own way. Right. And that's because to, to, the, like, to give them some credit, the public blockchain infrastructure was not ready for prime time. But I think the lot has changed in the last uh, year and a half, two years. We've seen all layer ones, we've seen um, layer two and other scaling solutions. And I also think the Ethereum merge is going to be a huge catalyst for enterprise adoption. Because if you talk to a lot of businesses, and I do, like I was a co-founder of the Blockchain Research Institute, our membership includes companies like FedEx, Exxon, Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola, you know, big brands, big corporations that aren't necessarily high tech. They always looked at some of these protocols and said, this seems like maybe not, we're not quite ready to do stuff on these platforms. With the Ethereum merge in the rear view, now 
there's opportunities to scale that technology. Um, the fact that it's now 99.5%, whatever, less carbon intensive, is going to be a huge boon for corporations because a lot of them are under the gun from investors and regulators for ESG reasons. And so I just think like the conditions are lining up really, really nicely for a period of substantive, long-term enterprise adoption of blockchain. Not proofs of concept, not press release uh, announcements, but actual real meaningful business transformations. And that, if you think about number go up and you want to talk about price, like what happens to the value of ETH if all of a sudden half the Fortune 500 is building on that platform, for example, right? You know, it's going to probably be good for the value of the underlying platform. Yeah, I mean, my sort of uh, not financial advice whenever people ask, you know, what part of crypto should I be in? I want to be in the metaverse. I want to be in NFTs is, is basically what you just described. Just buy ETH, <laughs> buy a couple layer ones, you know, have a small investment in each because you'll benefit from whatever's built on top of them. You don't need to find the 100x metaverse that wins yeah. if it's built on Ethereum. Exactly. Yeah. And, and honestly, investing in this asset class is actually quite difficult. Everyone thinks it's easy because um, there have been, you know, these life changing wealth creation events like the Ethereum token launch. But uh, for every project like that that ends up being very successful, there are many more that have failed or fizzled out. And even the ones that still, still exist, you know, if you look at the average entry point for most investors, a lot of them are underwater. Yeah. Like Bitcoin right now is right at its realized price, which is basically the, the sort of average price that's pretty crazy when you is. think about it. I know. And it's only happened twice before. So to me, it's like either Bitcoin's this, we're all wrong about this. And maybe this isn't what we think it is. Or this is, uh, you know, a very historic generational, generational <laughs> buying opportunity, if yeah, you will. But, but to your point, like once you go down the long tail of tokens, man, the, the quality and the success rate drops so significantly yeah. that it does make investing in this quite tricky. Yeah, I think that your average investor probably is uh, best <laughs> to stay away from anything beyond the top few by market cap and then see what happens next. But Listen, you're on top of this all the time. Are there any trends or new use cases that are particularly exciting to you right now? I think I'm looking at a lot of the same things that other people are looking at. Um, you know, I think that with, um, you know, with the, with the focus on consumer facing applications being a key element. So, you know, uh, things like gaming, social apps, um, you know, the growth of DeFi, all of the things that can help to drive incremental user growth to, to Web3, I think is going to be really important. I also think that you know, the big trend that, that, that I think is really underreported and not covered well enough is this enterprise story. Uh, I think everyone's looking at the merge as this is so great, it's going to help to scale you know, DeFi and these other things, and it's going to clear the deck for network upgrades and the introduction of sharding and all the rest of it. But no one's really talking about, hey, maybe this is the, you know, the broadband moment for, for, for crypto, for Web3, that all of a sudden, there's not really that much you could do on the web in a 56 kilobit modem, right? The web is a passive medium for consuming information uh, and it, the information comes at you slowly and it's not really presented all that well. Well, now we've got a new pipe and that new pipe is going to make it easier to do much cooler stuff. And I think of the merge as being kind of like that move to broadband where we've got this new pipe. Now, the merge didn't make Ethereum faster or you know more scaled necessarily yeah. but it's the big thing that had to get out of the way for all those other upgrades to occur and so that's why i think like the the news on the ethereum side is going to come 
uh, come fast. Doesn't mean I'm, by the way, doesn't mean like um, I'm an Ethereum maxi by any, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think that, you know, especially when the market recovers, the demand for, for state and the demand for block space is going to be very significant. And I think that there's going to be more and more demand for blockchains that are application specific or specific to uh, certain kinds of use cases. You know, small dollar transactions, gaming, uh, large dollar transactions, you know, Wall Street Metaverses, finance. NFTs, yeah, whatever. All this stuff. And so I just see that, like, I don't know which of these L1s and which of these scaling solutions is going to, you know, guaranteed to be successful, obviously. But um, you can see that some are, are, you know, gaining widespread adoption. And I think that as a result, you know, the rise in title lift most boats. So do you think we get to a point where every major corporation has some sort of Web3 compatibility, presence? I mean, Starbucks. And what's crazy is that you get news that Starbucks is literally like, incorporating NFTs and we don't even get a price move in the crypto space yeah. anymore based on it. Yeah, no, that, does, that stuff doesn't move the needle, yeah. um, which is interesting. I think that for the next few years, you're going to hear a lot of announcements from companies that they're starting uh, some Web3 initiative. And then after a few years, you're going to stop hearing that. Not because it's just going to be yeah, part of the... it's just like this a company announced it's like internet strategy, you right. know, like it's just uh, or it's mobile strategy. It did when when mobile when the mobile web became uh, really popular with the invention of the iPhone. It's like why doesn't Facebook have a mobile app? Oh, we're into mobile, 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 mobile. And then people, nobody talks about mobile anymore. Like oh, if we're into mobile, it's like yeah, of course you are because that's the internet. That's how we access the world. And it'll be the same thing here. You're gonna stop hearing about Web three because Web three is going to be ubiquitous. Right when it just when becomes just, it just the underlying becomes. technology exactly. of everything. And is that the metaverse to you? Um, no, I think the metaverse is just a, an, an element. Well, I mean, it's worth sort of talking about how to define that. So I think most people would agree that the metaverse is some combination of like a persistent uh, online world that you can access using VR or AR or something like that. Um, and then because, you know, the people talk about the metaverse without VR. I'm not totally sure what that is. Zoom. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> and then and then there are other people, by the way, who talk about the metaverse without Web3. And I'm not totally sure what that is. Because if you're using, you know, if you're in Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse and he's taking a 50% rake on all transactions inside of the app and you can't move those assets if you buy them outside of that universe and you have no say over how the platform is run and the terms of service can be changed on you at any point in time and people can be kicked off without, uh, you know, due process. That's not the metaverse. That's just what we have today yeah. with, with a VR headset, right? Yeah. That's just Web2. And no legs. Yeah, Web2. No, yeah, you're just like a floating I don't even log. get to have legs. I know. Come on, Mark. You're just a smiley face with no legs. So, you know, I think you need that idea of digital property rights um, for the metaverse to work. Because if the metaverse is going to reflect our, virtual, our physical world, then it has to have some of those same kinds of basic rights, the same kinds of basic components. Uh, and right now, in, on the internet, like, digital property rights are only enabled through blockchain. That's the only way they can be in it. Do you see a place for Bitcoin in the metaverse in that sort of future that you just described? Or has Bitcoin become sort of this real world bearer, asset, digital gold, and then everything else is built elsewhere? I can't say how smart people who are in this space are going to use Bitcoin or figure out like how to build on it. It's, it's, it's not my place to say. I think that Bitcoin's clearly like established itself as um, the preferred 
long-term store of value crypto. But I think there's a growing sort of feeling that it's not particularly uh, useful, um, you know, as a platform for programming applications because They're that's trying. not how it was designed. And people have been trying, you know. I mean, uh, I've had conversations with VCs who have been at this since 2014, 15, and they were funding projects that tried to build, uh, you know, DeFi on Bitcoin, DeFi and, Bitcoin. Yeah. and it's just not quite what it's designed for, right? It's like trying to design cloud on email. I mean. They're both the internet, but not really. They're both different things. Um, you just can't, you can't do it. Maybe they interact in some way, but they're just not the same. So it sounds like if we're gonna have specialized blockchains, which is what I believe too, we'll sort of live in a multi-chain world. Slata maybe becomes the gaming platform and AVAX the enterprise or you know, whatever they are. Doesn't that mean that we should be focused heavily on interoperability and how to solve those problems? Because right now all I see is bridge hacks. Yeah, <laughs> well that's the, the one of the crucial weaknesses of this whole thing is that everyone talks about composable blockchains, composable liquidity, applications that click together like Lego. But the fact is they're all built in different ecosystems. And the only way we've had to connect them is bridges. <laughs> yeah. And bridges are clearly not the sustainable long-term solution um, because the more successful a bridge becomes, the more uh, a target it becomes, right? Because you have all these assets locked in these bridges and any sort of, and a big attack surface, and any, any flaw, and all of a sudden they can be completely drained. So you need ways to connect these different chains together. Um, maybe that means that Ethereum wins out and everything kind of moves back. I don't believe that. I just don't think there's enough state in that network to support Web3. Um, so I think you need some solution. I think that Cosmos, for example, is a good example of a, of a platform where they're basic, the basic idea is Every application should have its own chain, um, which it can program into whatever sort of needs it need, like whatever sort of uh, specifications it needs. But all of these different chains are gonna have shared, some shared capability, right? Some shared security, some shared functionality, and they're all gonna connect with each other. And I think that feels like a logical path, like a logical end state. It's like, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, I don't know how that's all gonna play out. Yeah, and the thing that very few people talk about is that we have this push for decentralization and this utopian decentralized world, but it's all on Amazon Web Services. Yeah. <laughs> it's all on AWS in the cloud and it's completely centralized. I know, and I'm not sure that, I don't know what the solution is to that. Um, there are decentralized computing and storage networks like Filecoin and the Cash Network and others, but they, they don't, they're like tiny, yeah. you know, oh, com yeah. it, compared to, the, the cloud providers. I mean, I think maybe the only, I don't know if this, this is possible, but if you could gather like all the computing resources of big data centers and pool them together, the same with the same kinds of data centers that like AWS and others employ, and no single, you know, company or entity had majority rule, and it was more like um, It's like a the Bitcoin mining network. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's say, we'll call them nodes. <laughs> And, and they, will, they will stake something. No, you know, I just think that's the only way that this works. And, and that goes to another question, which is, you know, how will, will things like the metaverse ever go full Web3? If you look at a lot of like Web3 apps today, there are components of them that are Web3, um, you know, like uh, OpenSea, for example. When you have an NFT, you have, a, you know, a, an ERC721 digital asset. But it's still eBay. It's, yeah. <laughs> Except they're the platform, but also all the art and all of the other metadata that goes into that, that, um, 
that thing you own is not stored on chain, right? Right. The, the board ape is not on chain, like the image of the board ape. Um, so we're still relying on these uh, centralized players, um, you know, to to, um, to to smooth out the user experience. So is that just a growing pain? And soon we're going to have that functionality, and we'll get over it. Or is there always is really is this really a technology that will exist on some kind of a spectrum, right? Where at a certain point you are going to make trade-offs with centralization for convenience. I don't know. I think it's that. Yeah, it's starting to look like that, but you could also make the case that like. And that's still better. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Well, it's not. Like, it doesn't we, have to be black or white. Exactly. Like if we can if we can program property rights into the internet. Uh, and give people a way to prove their clear title to the things they own and their own data, and, and you know, give them back some economic val like some economic um, rights online. Then that's like a very good outcome, even if it means we're not going full web three. But I still think it's too early to say. I agree. Do you think that uh, anything can stop this at this point? Uh, no. Regulators. No, no, no. Uh, well, look, uh, what will can regulators change the shape and nature of what how this innovation occurs? Absolutely. Can they put the, you know, cat in the back in the bag? No, I don't think so. Um, but it doesn't mean that the industry shouldn't be organizing for uh, a dialogue or fight, depending on your perspective, um, to ensure that its uh, priorities get addressed and that if any rules do get created, that they're um, that they're ones that foster innovation. And by the way, there's there's plenty of precedent for this. You know, with the first era of the internet, uh, with first era of the internet, there were people. By 19, I think by 1997, there's still only one internet connection in the U.S. Senate, Ted Kennedy. So 100 people, one internet connection. And one senator who didn't have the internet connection, reminds me of people who have never used you know, any of these tools, uh, said the internet is just a platform for publishing pornography and would actually print off porno that his staffers would find online. I guess they'd go to an internet cafe yeah. or to Mr. Kennedy's office, I don't know, and print off a bunch of internet porn. And this guy would go around waving this internet porn in everyone's face. Um, and then there were other people in government who said, well, this is like, a, this feels like radio. So every, if you want to make a, create a website, you have to get a, a you know, CB radio license. Uh, and that's got to be issued by the government. And these are the kinds of proposals that were floating around. But the government took an enlightened approach. Telecommunications Act came into effect. And as a result, the conditions were laid for the commercial web to really flourish. So I just think this time there's a similar thing where, you know, if, uh, if CB radio license is required to launch websites in the US, the web would have happened somewhere else. It just wouldn't have happened in America. Um, and I, I think if you're an American policymaker, business leader, you want the web to happen, you want Web3 to happen you know, in, in the United States. You'd think. Uh, you'd think. You'd Doesn't think. seem that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Or at least not from the voices that are screaming the loudest. Well, sometimes the loudest voices are not representative of the you know, body politic of the majority. So we'll see. I mean, it seems like there's an inevitability about it anyways. It just may take longer, but it, no matter what, the younger generation eventually comes into power and they already get it. Yeah, I think so. Take and us. so the, the, the powers that be will eventually be either 130 years old or gone. And I think that the Generation Z and everyone younger is just going to be completely native to this and it's going to be a part of their lives. Yeah, I mean, people were shocked when like our generation went online, you know, for the first time as teenagers or as kids. Uh, and, you know, our, for our parents, the idea that people used computers at all was kind of a novelty, right? Like personal computing 
even in the 1990s, was a yes. very small thing. Um, you know, computers were business machines that were used for data processing. They were not tools for communication and for fun and for play. Um, and I think a lot of people feel the same way about Gen Z and even kids like younger than that, who are just kind of crypto native in the same way that, you know, people born in like the 70s and 80s kind of grew up internet native, um, right? It was not unusual in that way. So I think you're right. On so what's the next TED talk? <laughs> uh, Web3 is eating the world. I like it. I don't it. know. Something I like, like it. that. Well, let's hope that the world doesn't eat then Web3 yeah, then. Yeah, Thank exactly. you so much. Finally, great to finally uh, sit down and do this in person yeah, after so many times across yeah. the screen. Thanks. This has been great. That's dope.